0: or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest-growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo, here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. Welcome
1: to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to our podcast. I'm attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner uh, that is located in Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of legal areas, including civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property law, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and all the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own or you're with colleagues in a smaller firm. I want to mention our sponsor, PC Law, by LexisNexis. Please visit them at PCLaw.com backslash radio. That's PCLaw.com backslash radio. Now, today on New Solo, we're going to talk about what solos should charge clients. And today, uh, joining me is Attorney Jeremy Bylin from Bylin Law PLLC. Jeremy focuses his practice primarily on family law and estate planning. He also writes blogs for the Westlaw Insider blog. Jeremy recently wrote an article on the Westlaw Insider website titled, How to Decide What a Solo Attorney Should Charge. You can find him uh, more about Jeremy and his firm at BylinLaw.com. That's B-Y-E-L-L-I-N-L-A-W.com. Welcome to New Solo, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for being here. Uh, Let's dive right into it. Um, What... Is uh, the Laffey Matrix, and how is it of use to someone who has just opened their office?
2: Well, the Laffey Matrix is essentially just a rate chart uh, for it breaks it down by paralegal rates and um, just different uh, different years of tenure for um, different lawyers, you know, one to three years, four to seven years, and it actually came out of uh, a case of uh, the D.C. Circuit, I believe. Um, Laffey v. Northwest Airlines, um, and uh, it's, uh, essentially the court was just looking at a way to determine the you know what's a reasonable attorney's fees, and they just, and um, it's uh, it's nice to like kind of see just you know just the breakdown of different rates and the different uh, I guess the different uh, matrix I guess that uh, that lawyers can use, but most courts even consider the fees have been the high end um, and so I mean I wouldn't look at that as saying that is you know the average rate um, you would probably want to actually to look at it as being the highest that as more of a ceiling I guess what the highest reasonable rates you could really charge in um, if you're you know in of these different levels of, um, of practice um, really it's it's that's not. I wouldn't actually recommend going off of the Laffy Matrix to base your rates. With a lot of other factors um, you, you want to look at.
1: And to follow up that question, how would it be useful to a solo who has been practicing for several years or more?
2: Well, like I, I guess this, I guess the follow up on what I was just saying that kind of attorney would only really want to use it if you're going to be citing the case in court and trying to justify it to a judge. Um, if Saying that the rates are unreasonable, and also what I guess would probably be helpful also to a, a client who's trying to say that you know the rates are unreasonable. You can, I mean, if your rates are above the Laffy Matrix, what they've stayed on here, um, you uh, you're probably charging too much. Um, but it's, it is it's helpful to just have that as that ceiling to say, look, this is what's been established by court, this is what's accepted by court, and you know this I'm not charging you more than what the court considers reasonable.
1: And aside from the laughing matrix, how else can a solo determine how much to
2: charge? And this is, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can really do this. There's, uh, I guess, there's, like, there's an app on the, uh, the Apple uh, App Store called Rate Driver. And that's it's a pretty neat little app. It you know, calculates the rates based on uh, what your geographic area is, how many years of experience you have, uh, the practice area you're in, um whether you're a partner or associate, the firm size, um and it you know gives you a spits out a number based on all the things you've you've punched in. But that is a national app. It's used nationwide. It's not determined really it's not like doesn't have a, a really a pulse on your the local rates that everyone's charging. And there's a lot of other stuff also online just about, you know, the rates or you know, how to set rates in a certain area. But you're unlikely to find publishing of rates that are specific to your geographic area and your practice area online just because lawyers don't like to publish that information. So probably the best bet to do would be to uh, talk to an experienced attorney in your area and your field and just see how much they charge their billing practices, basically what they charge for, what they don't charge for as far as clients, that kind of thing, just to see You know, someone who's been more experienced in that area will have a better understanding about um, just how, you know, how to charge and then what other attorneys in that area are charging. So you have kind of a feel for what you're getting yourself into.
1: And you just touched upon it a bit, uh, but let's talk about some topics in turn uh, that affect fee rates. And uh, how do each of these affect a lawyer's fee? And let's start with geographic area. Could you talk about that a little
2: bit? Now, geographic area may be one of the biggest factors in determining it. Um, say like New York City attorneys, they're going to have one of the highest rates in the country versus somewhere like, I don't know, Omaha, Nebraska, it's not going to be nearly as comparable. So that's that's the biggest thing. You're not going to want to go talk to somebody across the country about what they charge and then based on that. You're going to want to talk to somebody locally because um, really you don't learn in law school about what in lo- a lot of the local practices, and that's actually the big part about um, learning Practice law is learning what the the local practices are. I mean, the statutes can say one thing, the case law can say one thing, but what people do locally is can be a lot different, and everything. So, um, it's really it's it's, you got you got to find somebody in your in your geographic area to find out because you can't just it's it's such a huge range from from one area to the next.
1: And what about practice area? How does that affect a lawyer's fee?
2: Um, really, it that's that actually can vary quite a bit as well. Or, um, things like, I mean, and, and actually, practice area will also affect whether you're doing contingency hourly or, uh, flat rate. Most criminal work is done flat rate, fixed fee rate up front. Um, contingency is mostly you're going to be finding, um, you know, the, the personal injury, med mail, that kind of thing. Um, and then most other civil practice are going to be hourly. And even within, I mean, even within like different brackets like that, you're going to have different rates for like let's say for the hourly. You're going to have it's you know a um, probably some kind of like complex business law attorney would be charging higher rates than just uh, say like a you know a family law attorney who just does divorces. Um, but even like let's say within the family law in the field,
0: there's going to be a huge range
2: of rates because of specializations. Um, if you're, let's say, an attorney that does grandparent visitation for child custody cases, a very complex area of law that not even a lot of judges really understand fully, um, you're going to be charging probably 50% higher or more than the average attorney who just practices, you know, general family law and doesn't really have that doesn't build them as a build themselves as a specialist in that in a specific area.
1: And what about target market? And, and by that, I mean, uh, in, in other words, uh, a specific group of consumers that a law firm aims to retain as clients. How does the target market affect pricing?
2: Um, well, it's like it's. this also relates to the practice area a little bit, too, just in the fact that, um, let's say, for corporate clients, you're going to have probably a little higher pricing just because it's, they're going to typically have a more, more complex problem than an individual client. Um, if you know especially if it's you know starting a, you know some kind of like you know shareholder action or some kind of uh, merger acquisition thing that's going to be a lot more complex than um you know small claims or like uh, doing it to an uncontested divorce or something so it really it's um you're, you you got to really set your price to that level that matches the kind of the complexity of the case that you're, that you're doing um, and, you know, again, this all you know, kind of take this factor with the other ones about geographic area and, and practice area. And,
1: and what advice would you give to New Solo who wants to charge a very low hourly rate uh, when they start their practice?
2: Uh, there are, are several problems that come up with charging very low hourly rates. Uh, first, as I wrote in, in the article, that a lot of potential clients, and actually most potential clients will assume that they are getting what they pay for. And that a cheaper attorney is a much less skilled one um and really if you know, if you set your rates too low, a attorney is gonna be if they don't ask you directly they'll be asking themselves why is this attorney so much cheaper than the other attorneys I've spoken with, and they're gonna be i mean maybe they'll go with it and think you know that's fine I need an attorney is all I can afford, but on the other hand, they'll be like they may be questioning you the whole time that you are set your rates that low that they may be thinking they may be second guessing you saying, well. Would another attorney be doing this differently? Would this happen to other attorneys? Are you doing something wrong? I mean, another attorney wouldn't be making that same mistake. Um, and you know, along those same lines, uh, just something to keep in mind that a lot of attorneys will get around professional ethics rules that prohibit advertising their skill being a certain level by just almost bragging to new and potential clients about how expensive that they are and saying, yes, I know I'm an expensive attorney. And if you are uncomfortable with this or if you feel that you can't afford me, I'd be happy to refer you to a cheaper attorney. And what what that says to the client, what the client is supposed to take that as is, I'm expensive because I'm good and I can get you to a cheaper, uh, less uh, less skilled attorney if you want. And more often than not, the client is going to sign up with the expensive attorney because they think that they're getting a better attorney because they're paying more money. Um, you know, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't set your rates low as, I guess what I'm saying there. Um, and you know, at the same time, while you, you should still charge less than an experienced attorney, it shouldn't be less than 70 to 80% of what the experienced attorney in your practice area charge. Um, just like I said, don't undervalue your services. Um, another, I guess, problem if aside from from that, if I'm saying your rate's too low, is that you may actually get a lot of referrals and a lot of clients that that take it. Maybe let's say you get over that initial hump of you know people questioning your 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 skill. Um, if you're getting a lot of low-income clients with this low rate, they're going to refer other low-income clients to you. And you know, obviously, there's nothing wrong with with serving low-income clientele. And actually, really, all attorneys should strive to help out some from time to time, but they are far less able to replenish the retainer. So um, you may find yourself working for free if uh, if you know, they're not able to replenish the retainer in time. And so it's just that's not a great business model, and you know you can't make a living off of it, even though there's, like I said, nothing wrong with doing pro bono work.
1: If you want to charge a specific client a lower rate for some reason, how can you best communicate the value billing the, the client will receive?
2: Well, always you always want to show up front what you normally charge, even during the initial client meeting. Um, if they ask during a phone call, just always tell them what you normally charge. And um, you, know, you want to do this during, you know, always do it during, I guess, the initial client meetings. And really, it's also, I think, good practice to do it Show what your actual charge on all the bills to your client too. Uh, this also this will you know make the client aware of what they're saving and what's you know the, the, the great deal they're getting with you. But it'll also show that like you know you normally your this is your normal price rate. This is what you're normally worth. These are your, your, you know your skills are actually much more valued than what you're actually charging. So even if you do start out giving low rates to everybody, the, you know all the clients that come in your door. You're going to want to still set your rates on a higher, and um, you know, just make sure that they are aware that they're getting a discount, and that this is not normal practice, and that you know, usually your skills go for much more.
1: What are some pros and cons of charging a, a flat rate to clients?
2: Um, there, I mean, it's, this is comi- becoming increasingly popular. Um, you know, there's a lot of advantages, especially for the clients like. Flat rate charges—they know how much they're going to be paying up front. Um, they're not going to, you know, get that first bill and get the sticker shock because they already know what they're putting in up front. Um, and attorneys like it because they have a guaranteed amount of money, uh, and they can more accurately budget how much a client will bring in. They don't have to, you know, think, well, how much more work is this attorney or client's going to have to do? How much more money am I going to be able to, you know, is this case going to pull? Um, there's a lot of there are a few cons to it too, though. Um, in some circumstances for clients, the rates can actually be higher than if, the, if they were doing hourly billing for the same amount of work, because the attorneys will average out how much a certain task or a certain you know, a, a, a service would cost. And if it turns out the clients actually a particularly simple case, um, they're going to be paying the average, which is probably going to be higher than what they would normally pay they the hourly billing. So I guess it's kind of a gamble that way for the for the clients. Um for the attorneys, on the other hand, you could get underpaid if you know let's if it becomes a particularly complicated case, and especially if you don't see these complications coming up when at the outset, um which happens a lot, and then you're stuck doing those extra work you didn't think you were going to be doing, and then you're not getting paid those extra hours that you're putting in. Um and then in addition, what I've kind of noticed is um and, and Clients tend to be less respectful of an attorney's time, uh, such as they'll call often over relatively insignificant matters if they aren't being charged hourly or, or once they, I, mean, I guess, once they realize what the the full implications of being the hourly charging is. So that's, I guess, another thing that that, can, that you know attorneys can inundate with client calls if the clients aren't being charged hourly for the, those phone calls.
1: We need to take a short break to hear from our sponsor, PC Law by LexisNexis. Please visit them at PCLaw.com backslash radio. And after we return from our break, more with attorney Jeremy Bylin.
0: Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com radio. That's PCLaw.com radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781 551 9960. That's 781 551 9960. Or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn too.
1: Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're joined by attorney Jeremy Bylin from Bylin Law PLLC. Uh, Jeremy, should a new solo charge for an initial consultation, and why or why not?
2: Um, I've known attorneys that can be successful either way, but personally, I don't charge for initial con- consultation. Um, I do try to limit them to not more than an hour. Um, but I don't. I prefer not to charge for a couple of reasons. First, um, I think it's much more effective at getting clients in the door. I kind of, I guess, view it as a test driving a car. And I mean, would you, you know, would you want to test drive a car if the dealership made you pay a hundred dollars to do it? And then, if you couldn't, if you had to pay to do it, though, I mean, I wouldn't. But then, the and then, and then I guess, followed up to that question: Would you purchase a car that you didn't actually test drive? So. You know, you you would, I mean, you you maybe you would get the more committed uh, clients in the fact that they had to pay to see you. They may be more willing to actually retain you. But really, um, you get more clients in the door. I feel like not doing the initial charging for the initial consultation, and um, it gives you a good, a good opportunity to show them also that you're not just they build some trust with the client that you're not just trying to just charge for every single second of your time. That, you know, you're just, you're just trying to say, you know, I'm not trying to make a living. I'm not just trying to gouge you every way I can. And a lot of times, that can, uh, most of the time, actually, that leads to fewer billing disputes if they feel like you're just not trying to, to, to bleed them dry.
1: And, and to follow that up, what advice can you give uh, to a new solo in regards to communicating fees during that initial client meeting?
2: Uh, in my experience, no matter how clearly you explain what you charge, um, for, what, you know, for what you charge, like for phone calls, for emails, Uh, et cetera. And no matter how much you explain how quickly the retainer can disappear after a few core appearances or a few documents that you've drafted, there's always a certain level of astonishment that the client has when they get their first bill. So what I've started doing actually is attaching a sample bill to the fee retainer agreement and having the client review that so that they're fully aware of just how they'll be charged for, how quickly it all adds up. Um, and, And after they see the first bill, after they see the sample bill, they're much more efficient with talking to you and sending you emails and with your time after they've realized that. And it it leads to fewer bill disputes because they they know what they're getting charged for up front.
1: And you you just touched on it, but what are some additional tips that you could give a new solo to prevent a fee dispute with a client?
2: Yeah, like I was just saying, communicating fees to the client clearly and effectively is is huge. Uh, Make sure they know in advance what they're being charged for. Um, I'm not sure if I even have to say this, but a written fee retainer agreement is is just absolutely a must. And um, you know, and I also kind of mentioned just about not not charging for the initial consultation, kind of establishing trust with the client that you're not just trying to to gouge them. Um, along those same lines, it's worked pretty well for me to give discounts occasionally for things that took longer than they should have, through no fault of the clients. Um, You know, just the other, screw, other attorney screwed up and did something uh you know something happened with the court that they rescheduled or something like that and just those kind of things just you know um just whatever discount you see fit just so they know that you know you're trying to to make it easy for them um you're not obviously required to but it just helps the client build trust with you and then makes them less likely to question why they're being charged something or why you're charging them for something that you did
1: and lastly what is the best piece of advice you've ever received
2: <laughs> don't be a lawyer <laughs> Seriously, though, um, really, at the end of the day, um, really, you got to realize it's just a job. You're paying for services. Um, you should not get personally invested in your client's problems um, because all you're going to see in in law are people's problems. And if you're getting personally invested in it, you're not lo- you're losing sight of the fact that it is a profession. It is your, your job. And at the end of the day, it's the client's problems, not your problems. And you really, sh- you really should just, you know, keep it as professional as possible.
1: Well spoken, and uh, well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. Uh, very special thanks to my guest, uh, Jer- Attorney Jeremy Bylon, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, very if folks want to find out more information on today's sh- uh, show and today's topic, how can they reach you?
2: Uh um, my best way to reach me is uh through email. It's my email address is my first name Jeremy J E R E M Y dot my last name Violin B as in Boy Y E L L I N as in Nancy at Violinlaw dot com.
1: And, of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, PC Law by LexisNexis. Please visit them at pclaw.com backslash radio. That's p-c-l-a-w dot com backslash radio. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with Attorney Kyle Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis.